Amen. So now we are ready. What are we ready for? We're ready for the word. That's right. Put your hands together for Prophet Mike. He's coming up to deliver the word. Hallelujah. They're they going to put the babies up before the prophet goes up and cause all kinds of distraction. Pastor Carolyn said it real good. When you look at the babies' faces, it wasn't that they memorized the dance. It was a conviction that they had. The Bible says, suffer not the little children to come. There was a conviction in their face that they believed that the kingdom of God was at hand. Oh, if we could just be like one of them. If we could be like one of them where our innocence still sitched in and looking for God. Every move they were making, the turns that they were doing, you had to watch these kids in rehearsal. They were dedicated not to getting the steps right, but to making sure that God was worshipped. That's what the kingdom of God looks like. It looks as innocent as their faces, innocent as their motive, and making sure that God is satisfied. Come on, let's lift up our hands one more time for the kids. The young ladies that came up here and gave, y'all can do better than that. I'm about to say, because I know that some of them kids is mine, and what they got to fight against, I know what they got to deal with in their bloodline, so I'm excited that they praise the Lord. That's all right. When y'all get your own seed, you'll see what, what's going on in the bloodline and how important it is for the kids to be admonished in the things of God. The Bible says, train their child in a way that they should go, that in due time, they won't depart from it. That's exactly what we're doing here. We don't just go on field trips and have fun. We make sure the kids know the truth of the Lord God. Because the world is out there waiting to identify them as something strange, something weird, waiting for them to put up strange fire. We have to be in the house with our minds ready to go. Amen. Y'all can have your seats. We're going to go right into the teaching. So we know Apostle's been dealing with our series on obeying and submitting, right? Oh, y'all don't sound confident about it. It's been a lot to chew on, hasn't it? Thank you. I got one nod. I appreciate you. Thank you. So let's go in. Our access to the kingdom is lined up with our posture and obedience and submission. Obedience and submission to God and the same to the parental authority and who he has put in your life to shepherd you into your maturity. Do we believe that? Yeah. It's one thing to submit to God, but what does the Bible say? How do they hear lest they have a what? And then what's the next part? Lest they have a preacher, lest someone who's going to tell them the truth. Amen? We've been unfortunately indoctrinated into this church mindset where the pews control the pulpit and the pastor's job is to appease the people instead of the will of God. Oh, I'm the only one, huh? When you're sitting in certain sanctuaries, you're sitting in certain services, and you're wondering why it sounds like clanging brass in here. It's because we're serving the wrong idol, but I'll be quiet. I'll be quiet. If John the Baptist prophesied correctly and Jesus fulfilled his mission, then the kingdom of God is here now, and we have not time to waste. We have to stand, excuse me, we have to stand to have our minds transformed in the understanding of the kingdom. I don't know about anybody other than myself. But I'm not doing all this sacrificing for no reason. I'm not doing all this suffering for no reason. 
I don't find it enjoyable to go through the hardships of seasons for no reason. There must be fruit after this. I'm not trying to go to the grave with the accolades of my peers and not hearing, well done, my good and faithful servant. So in the body of the believers, we go through many stages, but three I want to pull out in specific that I believe tries to stop our development. First, we must recognize that the spirit of the rebel exists in all of us. Secondly, we must contend with this spirit by not shying away from correction. And when prayer, then prayerfully, once we have reasoned with ourselves and gotten a handle on our issues, there's a resilience that must come that keeps you from going back to where you were and who you once behaved like. Amen. So I'm going to give you all three scriptures. You can write them down and we're going to go into the word. The first scripture, a uh, group of scriptures, uh, Luke 15, 11 to 32. Luke, where am I at? Luke 15, 11 to 32. Uh, Hebrews 12 and 6. And Genesis 32, 22 to 32. All right, let's dig in, right? So Luke gives us a story of the prodigal son. Now, being a prodigal son, confession, I used to struggle with this story a lot because I resonated with the son. I used to blame the father for giving his son so much access. Now, if you were supposed to be this wise father, remember in Hebrew culture and custom, the father was the pinnacle of the community. He was the elder. He was the most wisest. So in doing all this, and you're supposed to be the most wise, why would you give me so much access and you know I'm not ready? So I, I took, you know, I took the son's side. It's not his fault that I went and blew all my money. You should have known I couldn't spend it in the first place. You should have known I couldn't handle half the stuff no way. But then maturity sets in, and you have to realize you're blaming the wrong party. Have you noticed the problem yet? Somehow I put expectation on the father and no responsibility on the son. Somehow in my understanding of the story, all the weight of burden belongs to the father and not the son. I'm looking for the father to do all the heavy lifting. Where does the son show up? Where does the son show up in your discipleship? Where does the, the son take responsibility for the course of action, even in our spiritual walks? We want to put all the responsibility on our leaders and the ones that preach and the ones that teach. Where's our level of responsibility? The Holy Spirit kept reminding me, our apostle said last week, God blames us. While the whole world wants to sit around and point and blame God for issue and things that are not done and things that didn't happen and you didn't answer my prayer and the whole world wants to blame God, let's, let's turn the tables and I put a little responsibility in your lap. I ask you to do a certain amount of things while you're down here. I ask you to, to be fruitful and to multiply and to occupy until I return. So is it really my fault or is it yours? That's all right. I, I'm accustomed to speaking to myself. It's fine. The way this relationship works is the father is to do what is best in his wisdom and judgment for the son. Notice I said in his wisdom and judgment for the son. That what makes the son feel good. That was going to make the son love me and I be his best parent and make me macaroni art on kindergarten day. He said, no, 
in my position as the father, I have to do what's best, whether they like it or not. I'm going to have to tell you no sometimes. And I'm not going to be able to sign that permission slip every time. And everyone's not going to be invited into my house. And you can't go sit at everybody's table. Oh, I must have been the only one raised right. When I was a kid, you couldn't go in nobody's house. We can play on the street, but you can't go in nobody's house. And don't you dare get caught over the threshold. I remember my friends used to invite me. Hey, Mike, come in. I was like, oh, nah, children. <laughs> I'm at the back door. Nah, play. I can't even go in there. They said, I, I don't even know why. I would love to come play your little Sega Genesis. I can't come in there. They told me I can't come inside. Listen, I used to suffer because they all inside playing games, eating ice creams and stuff, and me and my brother just looking at each other like, Dad, why they don't ever let us have no fun? We can't. They only live down the street. Why? When we was coming up, we, we stayed at my grandmama's house, and all the friends live on the same street. Everybody used to go inside, go chill in the basement on a hot summer day. Me and my brother like, so you're going to get the hose, I'm going to get the hose. Because I know you thirsty, and I'm thirsty. We can't go in there. And you know if we're running out the house, how the old folks used to say, you're going to stay in the house, you keep running in and out. So now we just got to sit here and look at each other until they decide to come back outside. Now, as a youth, I didn't appreciate that. Because it made me feel like I had to stand out or I was being ostracized or picked out because of how I was being raised. Little do you know what used to happen in some people's houses. What used to go on behind closed doors? What kind of dangers lied when your parents couldn't see you? Even into my, to my early teens, my mom used to say, if I can't stand on this porch and see you from where you are, you're in more trouble than you think. Remember when we first moved to Bloomfield, my mother yelled our names out and couldn't see across to the park. Mother bent that corner so quick, and me and my brother was in the same park, but she couldn't see us. There's a way that we were raised, amen? Didn't feel good, but it makes sense. In today's society, this is what we call a trigger word. Submission is defined as a yielding to a superior force. If you look around, look on the news, look what's going on in the generations, there's no submission to anything. There's no honor, there's no integrity, there's no limit to what they're willing to do and not do. And as soon as you try to put a little boundary on somebody, oh, I'm triggered. Oh, that's hurtful language. That's negative connotations. Oh, you can't say that to me. It's discriminatory. We have an issue with submission. The son has to realize no matter how strong he's getting, no matter how much experience or wisdom that is gained, there's always a call to submit to a superior force. The father's body may grow old and his strength may weaken, but what you don't beat out is the wisdom that he has. The Bible talks about the student is never greater than the teacher. It's one thing to be taught, and you should grow in maturity and be able to hold down the fort. doesn't mean that you're greater than the teacher. The expectation of the father is that you grow strong, that you find your place, and that you prosper and be in good health. But even in all that, you're not greater than the one that gave your life, opportunity, and instruction. I had to make this personal because we're, we're missing the part of submission that lines up to what you're connected to. You're not just going to submit to any old thing because most of us got a little wisdom. You're not just going to submit and line up to something that doesn't make sense. Going to the school today, two plus two equal five. That's not a joke. I've seen a whole a teacher lesson. They're trying to explain how two plus two equals five. You're not just going to submit to a bunch of foolishness because it doesn't make any sense. Bro, I laughed so hard when I seen it because the person was so convicted in their face. They was really trying to prove this. And this is why we have such an issue because the youth aren't as dumb as we think they are. 
these younger generations aren't lacking uh, perception and understanding the, the ability to discern certain things. So when they see that I can't submit here, they make that a universal statement. So the school's teaching me weird and mama working too much and daddy didn't come, so who am I gonna submit to now? This is when they turn on the TV and this is when they start looking at their friends and on social media. One thing I heard a long time ago in the 90s uh, on this documentary, they're talking about Naughty by Nature and how Flavor Flav became the father figure to many fatherless men. And I said, God help me Jesus. Not Flavor Flav, dog. Not Flav. Out of all the rappers on the TV, not Flav, dog. That's whose people daddy becoming? All right, so then we have a deeper issue. It made me begin to think about maturing in the body of Christ. No matter how great I become, no matter how far my name reaches, no matter my influence, I'm no greater than the one that gave me the delegated authority. I know it's hard to hear because we have this own sense of pride that makes us want to feel like we're self-sufficient and makes me want to feel like I'm great. I know a lot of times, especially us men, you give us a little praise, you put a battery in my back. I've been telling my wife, don't gas me like that. I only take 93, and you giving me a whole lot. Don't gas me. Have me walk past this mirror twice. Don't do that. <laughs> it's, it's funny, but it's right, especially in the minds of men. If you give us a little gas, women, if you knew how to control your men, all you got to do is give them a little gas. Babe, I like that color on you. Babe, I like that shirt. Oh, wait, that means I got to buy more shirts like this. If I'm getting this much attention, I got to put on this color shirt then. Well, you got to think about it, right? If I'm standing here, right, this is a delegated space. This is an authority that I've been given, not by my own merit, not by anything that I've done, but by submission and obedience. It's a hard place to be because correction doesn't feel good while it's happening. When you're getting corrected, the first thing you hear is, I did something wrong. The first thing you hear in correction is, I didn't measure up, I didn't do enough. You start this self-loathing cycle, but if you look for the fruit in correction, you'd stop getting in your feelings first. Cool, we're, we're, we're created with feelings and sensitivities. That's nice. Doesn't mean you're supposed to interpret everything through your emotions. Your emotions are fleeting. They're, they're e easily changed. They're easily subjected. So when you're hearing correction, you miss the fruit of correction because your butt hurt. I said what I said. You have an issue with correction because you hurt in your feelings. Now, mind you, if you paid attention to why you're being corrected, it's because you have somewhere to be. There's a journey that you're supposed to be on. There's a destiny that you're supposed to uh, achieve and fulfill, but you're stuck in the fact that that hurt. Ouch. Now, I don't know about anybody else who was a hardhead youth. I remember getting my behind whip. And at no point did I think that you love me in this. <laughs> at no point was I having this conversation. My mama loved me so much. She's just in here beating my butt because she loved me. This is so nice. I love living here. This is great. I know exactly what I'm going to get her for Mother's Day. Oh, God, mommy. No, you know how we used to do mom used to leave, used to yell with no voice. So when she closed the door, Big mad, because you know if, you, if she heard you, she's coming back in there, so you got to say it with no voice. <laughs> but this is what we begin to have an issue with, is that we won't submit to anything, because we don't know how to rightfully discern what submission really looks like. 
and what my obedience is like. The Bible tells us that obedience is better than sacrifice. Why? Because if you were obedient, you wouldn't have to sacrifice. If you were obedient, you wouldn't have to miss seasons and promises and points of influence. You wouldn't have to miss money. You wouldn't have to miss time if you just chose to be obedient. Now listen, I came into here a rebel. I came clean off the streets and right into the church a rebel. I was raised in church. I know how to do church. Not in this spiritual development center. <laughs> I was wrong. But it never felt good to hear that I wasn't doing it right. Because so often we try to achieve this position of affirmation. That if I do it right, apostles going to see me. And if I do it right, my leaders are going to back me up. And if, if I do this right, you know that's not the kingdom, right? That's literally how we relate to our parents being projected on the church. Some of us still got that rebel inside us that's looking to be vindicated, and we use that in the church and wonder why our steps are misaligned. Because we haven't found resolution with our own mommy and daddy issues, we bring them into the church, and then we're not satisfied when apostle doesn't behave like my biological parent. Why didn't she post my stuff? Why she ain't share my picture? Why she ain't come to my cookout? That's not what this is about. We have to shift our mind in relation to what we're doing. The Bible says that uh, John was in the wilderness prophesying that the kingdom of God was coming. We learned that Jesus brought the kingdom with him. So what time are we wasting still waiting for mom and daddy to pat me on my back when the kingdom of God is here and is ready to be acquired? We're still getting stuck in old hurts and old issues when God is trying to promote you past that space. I take that back. I don't try nothing. God is doing. Are you the recipient, though? Have you put yourself in a posture of purpose? Have you found yourself doing what you're supposed to be doing in order to receive the blessing? Now let's watch this. The, the prodigal son's father hands him his inheritance. Sure thing. Go ahead. Do what you got to do. And again, I'm still mind blown because if you think about in the Bible, when fathers gave inheritance, it wasn't just money. It was influence, money, land, cattle, and, and, and uh, what's the word? Dominion over a certain region. So when he gets his money, the scripture says he ran off, ran the town, was being fast, spending money, doing everything that he could do. Why do you think the father didn't care about the tangible assets? He worked all his life to get this cattle and all his life to get this influence and all my life to get my name great. Why does the father not care about the squandering of this money? Because in his sage wisdom, he understood that the value of this lesson is greater than any money you could have in your pocket. He understood that the value of what you're about to learn, my granddaddy used to say, a hard head makes a soft behind. What you're about to learn, son, because you done ran out of here with a, a wad full of money burning a hole in your pocket, you're going to learn a lesson that you couldn't learn otherwise. Because you could be like your brother and stay home and just continue to do the work. Because we don't hear about the other brother. You know why? Other brother was submitted. There wasn't no story there. He was submitted. He did his. He, what, what did, when the prodigal son came home, 
The father said to who? The other brother, go get me X, Y, and Z. We missed the fact that the other brother had equal access. How do I ask him to go get me something unless he had access to it as well? Oh, we definitely missed that part because the prodigal got his stuff and let him go do whatever. The submitted son had access and didn't have to bump his head. The submitted son was able to stay home and continue to feast at my father's table. I'm, say, I'm able to continue to learn how to do the shepherding, how to do the work, how to do the labor. I'm able to stay here and mature, and I didn't have to go out there and let life deal with me first. Now, can we be honest? I made that mistake more than once thinking I knew what I was doing, wet behind the ears, thought I knew how to maneuver my money and maneuver my time until life had to teach me something that money wasn't going to teach me. There was a lesson that couldn't be bought that life unfortunately had to teach me. This is the wisdom that is instilled from God in the parent and specifically the spiritual parent to know the character of the children. They know how you're going to respond to correction, which child is going to run and return, and which child will reject correction and disconnect in covenant. Ooh, spooky. Because as soon as you tell somebody, they want to, oh, you're my spiritual parent. I love you so much. And as soon as you tell them they're wrong, they're on Facebook talking about you, moving on to other ministries, doing what they want to do anyway. But I thought it was all love, right? I thought we was I thought we was locked in. I thought it was everything was great. No. Because it was situation and conditional. It was all peaches and cream as long as I'm doing what you asked me to do. But when I play the role that you gave me designation to, now you have a problem. Now you got an issue with me. I, it was all cool when you was able to be on, on the post with me and people commenting and you able to be seen. But when I have to correct you, mind you, most correction happens behind closed doors. So I did you the service of correcting you when nobody saw you anyway, but you're still in your feelings. All right, cool. The reason the father was so seemingly willing to hand over the inheritance is like I said, the real inheritance wasn't the land, money, or cattle. It was the wisdom that the son was able to use moving forward. What I've noticed in society and in the church is this type of wisdom is talked about, but not often embraced. And it's that wisdom that comes with correction. Somehow correction is taking on a negative connotation. We're living in a society that wants to be identified, accepted, and affirmed, but don't want to be corrected. Watch on the news how these people stand at the podiums of law and scream. Don't even say nothing intellectual. And scream. Big old adults having temper tantrum and scream. It's okay to have an opinion. It's okay to have a mindset. But look how the child is erupting from this person because, again, that child has not been vindicated and is still looking for a space to be in that the adult does not belong. All because they don't want to be corrected. I'll tell you the truth that you can't truly be connected without being corrected. The biggest benefit the prodigal son wasn't that had, it wasn't the freedom to run out and do whatever. The benefit was that he was able to return home and he returned what? Ready for position and ready for purpose. I guarantee after all the lessons that the prodigal son learned, he saw life a little differently. The part that always got to me is when the scripture talks about that he was in a pig trough and he on his hand, now he done ran out of money. He ain't got no more influence. Your name ain't good no more out here. What you gonna do? 
Bible says he was on his hands and knees about to eat from a pig trough and something clicked. Oh, Joker, wait a minute. Because when I was back home, I had plates, I had robes, I had jewels. I'm finna eat. Y'all ever seen what a pig eat? Say it again, sir. Pigs don't discriminate against nothing. They eat everything, everything. Listen to me. Here's where there's the big problem. Why did it take so much for the son to go through for him to recollect that this is not where I'm supposed to be? While he was ripping and running, it was fine. When I bottomed out, when I hit rock bottom, then I noticed I have a problem. So he's on his hands and knees, he's in the trough, and he's like, nah, brother, I'm going back home. Can't even do it, I gotta go back home. Now listen to the mantra he said all the way back home. He prepared a speech. Y'all ever, ever get in trouble? And you gotta make a speech before mom and daddy catch up to you? Cause you gonna try your best to explain your way out of this one. I remember one year I, I called myself picking the lock on a car and got a pencil stuck in my mother's trunk. I knew I was an intercessor then in that bathroom because I knew that the Lord was going to have to show up because I done did something that I can't get myself out. Joke, I tried to melt it with water. I tried to pick it back out. The lock is stuck. I'm in that bathroom calling on the name of God because even at that age, I knew correction came with a switch. So I don't want none of that smoke. But listen, his mantra then becomes, as he's making up his speech, he says, you know, I'm going to go home, and I'm going to say this, this, and this to see if my father agree with me. He says, Father, I've sinned against you, and I've sinned against heaven. Bad, bad, that sounds good. You know, you know, you, you know, you talk, you know what? Yeah, Joker, I, you and heaven. You know, you got to put God in there to make him feel bad. You got to, you know, you and heaven, not just you, but God's in there too. Hoping some of that mercy trickled down and, you know, you don't catch this L like you're really going to catch it. So the scripture talks about he's walking all the way home and he keeps saying the same thing. Father, I've sinned against you and heaven. You know, you got to repeat it a couple times so that in case they try to call you a bluff, it's memorized. You know, you got it in you. Now, this is what he should have been paying more attention to. Do you know how special you have to be to receive open rebuke? Oh, it got quiet. You know how special you got to be as a person to get openly chastised? What you talking about, Prophet? I don't want to be corrected in front of people. You know what? You're missing the point. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6, For the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes each one he accepts as a child. My open rebuke is a love letter to me. Me being corrected in front of my peers, me being corrected in front of people is a declaration of your love towards me. You could wait till I got in the car and down 91 and whispered in my ear, you tripping? <laughs> okay, I'd prefer that because I don't look stupid when you tell me to myself. I'll be in my front seat and it's just me and you. But when the Lord decides to openly correct you, he's making a dual statement. He's saying, I love you but you're going to catch this L. And the only reason you're going to take it is because I love you enough to not let you go wrong. Because if I don't correct you, you're going to think that your behavior is acceptable. And if I don't tell you you're wrong, you're going to think that the way you're walking and the way you're moving is pleasing to me. If I don't say it, you're going to miss this whole season because instead of walking straight, you're walking askew. 
because I did not correct you, because I did not order your steps, you're missing the whole fruit in this season. God corrects to connect. If you take anything from this sermon, he corrects to connect. Why? I just told you. Correction is God's love language. I correct you so that you know I'm near you. I correct you so that you know that I'm ever-present. I'm omnipotent. I'm always on your side. I never leave you nor forsake you. I correct you so that you know that you're not doing this by yourself. That must be comforting just to me. Because like I said, correction don't feel good, but what does feel good is not being by myself. I love not being lonely. When, even when there's no people to speak to me, I love that all I have to do is mention his name and he shows up. All I have to do is begin to think on the goodness of Jesus and all he's done, he shows up. I love that I'm not by myself while I'm going through something. Because you know, when money gets funny, so do your friends. When seasons get hard, people become strangers. I almost quoted Nas. I had to catch myself. <laughs> I was quoted a rap, so I had to catch myself. When it gets strange, Pastor, you better pray for me. Because Nas almost came out. Nasir Jones came out in my face just now. <laughs> when, when the seasons get difficult, those lack of stick and stay individuals, they find themselves fleeting. So we was all cool, you know, we all the crew rocking together while everything is on the up. How many of us can say that we have those? stick and stay relationships that I can be ugly I can be stank I can be wrong and you're not going to turn your back on me it's very far and few it's rare that we have those individuals that's trying to rock with us no matter what and then God with all that you got on your plate and all that you're doing God you want to make sure that I am establishing the fact that this relationship is about me and you that while I'm in my pig trough, while I'm spending money, while I'm out cutting up, me and you. While I'm not right, when my mind is askew, when I'm going through warfare, me and you. When my heart's broken, my body's sick, and my, my cupboards are empty, me and you. He corrects to connect. It can't just be rainbows and butterflies all the time. God is not a just God if he does what a genie do. Oh. Amen. Because someone's rubbed these Bibles like smoke's supposed to come out. And <laughs> Robin Williams supposed to sing us a song. We missing the point that God ain't no genie. He ain't supposed to just grant all your wishes and make you feel good all the time. He's not just supposed to show up and give you rainbows and sunshine. But he's supposed to make sure that he's there for you when the clouds get dark and the rain starts to come. So that you're solidified in your relationship that come hella high water, I have a safe place and a refuge. The Bible says what? That he's a strong tower. I get confidence in a strong tower because I can find shade in there when it's hot and I can find refuge when I'm not safe. He corrects to connect. He aligns, rebukes, and chastises because of what his fatherly wisdom tells him about you. He goes all through all that because his infinite wisdom tells him a specific story. His fatherly wisdom tells him, you're worth it. Now, I don't know about anybody else that may have dealt with fatherlessness or issues with parenting, but there's something different when your parent tell you, I'm proud of you. 
It's something different when your parent affirms that you have worth, matter, and value. It hits different when the people that you look up to most acknowledge you for what you're doing. His wisdom tells him that you're worth me correcting. If I didn't correct you, there'd be no worth. When the last time you redirected a fly? Think about it. When the last time you redirected a fly? You don't, because you don't care where they're going. You just shoot them out the way. But when you have value, listen, I just got a Maltese, right? And I regret every step of it. Um, <laughs> but I make sure that investment doesn't go astray because I paid money for this. There's value in this, and you ain't gonna, you ain't running in the street, Joker. You're not gonna get down and just run wherever you want to go. You're not just gonna gnaw on everything you want to put in your mouth because you got the last. <laughs> you, I got to get my money back out of there. You got the last. It's the same thing with God. When you look at what happened on Calvary, when they pierced him in his side and when blood spilled and when thorns went into his head, that wasn't just an occurrence that we can talk about when April comes around. It was an occurrence that we can talk about because it's an occurrence of investment. When two leaders is just spilling from him, when he's hanging up there on the cross, he told his disciples, if I wanted to get out of this, I could. You know, that's a big boss statement. He said, if I wanted to not do this, I don't have to do this. Understand, I put value on you, so I'll stand here and do this. It's a level of investment that only comes by relationship. I don't have to do this, Jesus says to his disciples. You know what allegiance starts at? The bare minimum of allegiance is a thousand. He said, legions, plural. If I wanted to call all my homeboys in the heavens to get me out of this, I wouldn't have to be here. But I'm choosing to do this because I see something in you that is worth my sacrifice. Man, I see what I'm dealing with now. So do you believe in your worth? Do you believe in your value? Because if you knew what you were worth and valuable of, you'd be willing to sit for correction. If I know that there's a trajectory in this ministry in me, I'm willing to let apostle do what she got to do to correct me so that my steps are ordered a little differently. Because if you let me do it, I'm forgetting messing it up. I'm Peter. I'm cutting folk. And there goes my reputation right there, right out the window. Pastor Ring, what the quote say? If you a leader, you just got nobody with you. What you doing? Taking a walk. I don't want to take a walk. God put something on me, and I want to lead people. I want to be a fisher of men. I want to be an influencer, not on social media platforms, but in the lives of people. If that's an investment I'm willing to stand behind, I have to be willing to be corrected. It's a hard pill to swallow. But he says in his wisdom, there's value on you. Correction from a parent in this aspect, a spiritual parent, comes from a place of provision. Correction doesn't feel good while it's happening, but if you're able to see from the vantage point of your leader, let's stop there. I believe the Bible talked about there was a great battle where Moses was standing at a certain vantage point and his disciples had to come and hold up his arms. The leader has a different perspective than you do. I know that Catholicism got us on this here pulpit, but it's metaphorically sound because the leader has a different perspective of you. I'm not seeing you for the last couple months, and I'm not seeing you for what you're dealing with. I'm seeing the potential in you because God lets me see you how he sees you. 
My vantage point is a little different because I'm able to see the investment. See, people are quick to write you off based on what they think they know. You ever heard of a resume? Before you even get to the job, they want to read the paperwork. They ain't met you, they ain't shook your hand, don't know if I typed this myself on my phone, don't know if it's my homeboy saying that he's my supervisor, don't know nothing. But the paper speaks louder than you meeting me face to face. We got to be careful. The vantage point is different. So when the leader is standing to correct you, it's not because I don't want you on my team or I don't want you to be participating in ministry or it's not because I want to sit you down. I'm looking a little far off than you. I'm looking a little further than right in front of you. You're seeing this opportunity to lead praise and worship. You're looking at this opportunity to preach and to teach. You're looking at what something is labeled as opportunity when it's really an issue because so often people fall at opportunities. It sounded good. It looked good. They're giving me a platform. My name's on a flyer. They got the good picture of me with smiling with both dimples, you know, looking good. Don't know that that is not for you. You're being led astray by your own desires. The vantage point. Correction when utilized correctly is like the rudder steering a boat, making sure that you're going in the right direction. Whether it's a kayak, a canoe, or a boat, there's always a rudder in the back making sure that the boat is being steered correctly. This is why there's such a need for us to be submitted and obedient because in order to have the kingdom of God the way God wants to hand it to us, I can't hand it to a bunch of rebels. I can't hand the kingdom of God to people who aren't submissive because you'll run off with my stuff. Oh. Oh. Because what did the prodigal son do? He went to his father, talked to his father. His father handed him a check and he dipped. Didn't worry about if my father was going to be taken care of, if the land was good, if somebody was going to tend to him, was somebody going to help him. What my brother doing? He didn't ask no question. Oh, word, wet sign, peace, I'm out. It's the same thing God says about the kingdom of God. I can't hand my stuff to rebels because you'll leave with my things. You'll leave with my blessings and anointings. You'll leave with the miracle signs and wonders and go appease yourself. We often talk about people like Elvis Presley and Michael Jackson and Whitney Houston. Rebels had the anointing and left with it. And then what did they end up left with? Nothing. A Google search. That's it. These people were given something special. And because they did not conquer the rebel in them, left with God's stuff. The kingdom of God has been at hand for more time than we can count. And we're still looking to put it somewhere. It's still looking for a recipient. There's a place that you have to be personally to receive your portion of the kingdom. This is a point of self-evaluation. All right, God. I hear Prophet Mike up there talking. Where do I fall in this? I come to church. I pay my, my tax to the king. I serve in the ministry. Where do I need to fall in line so I can receive my portion. One thing that always stressed me out, me and Brother Robbie was talking about it this morning, sick people in the church. Not because sick people are wrong, but why are we sick? The Bible says we're made in his likeness and his image. Never heard God get a cold. Never heard pneumonia, nah, pneumonia get up in heaven. 
So then there has to be an abnormality in us. It's the same thing if he says, I own a cattle on a thousand hills. I supply all your needs according to your riches and glory in Christ Jesus. If he has all this abundance, enough to give you an abundant life, why am I paycheck to paycheck? Why does ADP have more control over me than my leader? Because somehow this abnormality in me is disconnecting me from the kingdom. This abnormality in me is disconnecting me from my inheritance. I was supposed to have more. Now, y'all ever look at your paycheck, and I know y'all counted your hours, and you know you can do regular math, and they didn't put all the money in there, and you did the percentage. I got a whole website saved that does the paycheck calculator. So FICA come out, and I, they make the same numbers, Joe. Ho, 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 ho. So if you're not satisfied with your paycheck not matching up, how are you satisfied with your inheritance not matching up? We're supposed to walk in a certain dominion of power. If you look in Genesis, God told Adam, what you name them, I'll certify. What you do, I'll back up. If a seed begets of itself, doesn't that mean we have certain levels of authority? Joshua stopped the heavens. Peter walked on water. Lazarus raised from the dead. How do these things happen just for one man? if we're made in the same likeness in the same image because somehow some way we're disconnected from the kingdom but here's the good part here's the silver lining if we're able to deal with the rebel in us now watch the rebel is not a bad thing God gives us that rebel in us so that we'll rebel against the world and go back to him even more so we have a rebel in us because of Adam so the rebel has purpose but if we don't tame the rebel, it does things like it into a wild donkey. It'll just begin to behave subconsciously and unconsciously. You begin to have behavior that is rebellious to your purpose. But should you be able to deal with your rebel and deal with that spirit, you'll then find yourself at a point of correction. If you find the ability to deal with correction, let's not be, you know, aloof. Correction sucks. But if you find your ability to deal with it, this is where you find ourselves in Genesis 32, 22 to 32. It's a whole bunch of verses. We're not going to read them all. But this is where the sons and daughters show up. Now, we remember the story about Jacob, right? And Jacob wrestled with the angel, and his feigned statement was, I'm not going to move until you bless me. Now, the scripture talks about he wrestled so much that the angel pushed his hip out of socket and he still refused to let go. You know what kind of tenacity that is? That you have caused me great pain and I still won't let go. I'm so, I'm so cinched into what you're doing for me. I'm not going to let go in a season of weakness, a season of weariness. I'm not going to turn my back on you when it doesn't feel good. The reason that we have to conquer the rebel and deal with correction is so that we get to the mindset like Jacob. Where correction hurt me in the, in the moment it happened, but it's not going to cause me to run. Where wind and doctrine can't come in and change my mind. When other people's opinions and perspective about ministry don't make me run. We got to get to a place where I'm willing to stick and stay in spite of. I love that the Bible depicts Jesus like a bridegroom and we be the bride. Because if anybody's going to be married, married folk, God bless you. I share your pain. Because if we're going to do this, it has to be stick and stay, right? 
Although the vows aren't biblical, we say them in sickness and health, richer or poor. We vow them things in front of God, which means we got to what? Stick and stay deep. When it don't work, don't say nothing. I got you. Don't, don't say nothing. I got your back. But when stuff go a little awry, stick and stay. Robbie, I got you, brother. Reem, hold you down, G. I got you. Because when it doesn't feel good, I have to find a reason in this relationship to stay here. When it's not appeasing to my inclinations, when it's not satisfying me on a superficial level, I have to find a reason to stay. It's the same thing with God. Now, he said, great is his faithfulness towards us. I'll never leave you nor forsake you, right? Cool. He's already promised those things, and we understand by the word he cannot go back on a promise. We're the ones that vacillate. We're the ones that go through issues and schisms and fallouts and seasons and find a reason to blame God for it. We go through these ups and downs in life and somehow it ain't my fault, it's God's fault. I told you in the beginning, I resonated with the prodigal son because I blamed the father for giving him all the money in the first place. If you should have told me to go sit down and be quiet, lies, I would have left anyway and still been a hard head. I just would have got to the picture off faster because I'm broke. Oh, amen. Amen. Somebody caught that. This is, this is what happens now, right? As God is shifting the apostles' house into not just talking about the kingdom, but acquiring the kingdom, these are the two things we have to deal with. We already have enough enemies. We already have enough those who oppose what goes on in the spiritual realm. We have to deal with what we have responsibility over, which is yourself. You got to deal with that rebel. You got to deal with your shying away from correction. You have to stop and do what the prodigal son did and reason with yourself. If you look around, now everything may not be a picture. I guarantee you can find one. Look around in your life right now. Are you happy as you should be? Are you as healthy as you should be? Are you living like you should? And not, I'm not, this is not a, a hard word to make you feel bad about yourself. It's a time to look around. Should I be doing more, occupying more, satisfied more? Listen, one of my biggest things, God, I just want to sleep. I want to sleep how them folk do on the Lifetime movies, where they be knocked out, waking up, yawning, and birds is chirping and stuff. I want to sleep like one of them. Dag on it. <laughs> I just want to take a nap, Jesus. So if that's my problem, that's my pig trough. Even physically, let's be a little transparent. I'm not shaped the way I want to be. That ain't nobody else's fault. I know McDonald's told me I'm loving it, and the Burger King said I could have it my way. They should have put a chastity belt on the drive-thru. Stop letting me pull up here. Because listen, there's a way that I'm supposed to look. If the Bible says that we're made in his likeness and in his representation, I shouldn't be overweight. I shouldn't be sick and tired. My ankle shouldn't be swollen. I shouldn't be going through these issues in my life because the way God designed us is to be the best specimen he had. Why do you know you're the best specimen? Because why would he give Jesus if you weren't the best? Ooh. There's a difference between biological and begotten. Biological means you're of my body. Begotten means I'm one of one. Why would God give one of one if you weren't the best thing that he had? Why would he sacrifice the best thing that I have in the heavenlies if you were not on tier with the value that I see in you? 
So the sacrifice is already laid and the mindset is on his end is solidified, then we have to stop moving. We got to stop shifting with every season and find ourselves sticking and staying. I love that the Bible gives us a whole rundown, almost like a 12 round fight with commentary about how Jacob dealt with this angel going toe to toe the daybreak is coming my hip is pushed out I'm holding on until you bless me that's a, a fervent place that's a serious convicted place that I'm not going to move until you give me what belongs to me now watch this you ain't got to fight God like that he wants to give it to you it's already signed sealed and waiting to be delivered who's going to be a recipient I had one person raise a hand that's dope I hope you get exactly what you need sir because you got to think about it this is hard to take in because correction doesn't feel good and it's hard to take in because that rebel in me just wants to be great no one's ever told me that I was great no one's ever filled me up and edified me and encouraged me and made me feel good about what I was doing people are so inclined to put my error in my face I just want to feel good sometimes so we, we have a real fight on our hands, but the end result of fighting, 1 Peter 5 and 10, after you've suffered a little while, I'll come to what? Establish you in what? The kingdom of God. I want the best for you, says the Lord. I want you to experience the best of what I have to offer, not just the scraps from my table. You know, that's, that's what the whole medical industry is, is the scraps from the table. It's a, huh, feel better. Yeah, feel good. We're supposed to be living in an abundant life. Kings and queens, rulers of industry, influences over the seven mountains. We're supposed to be literally showing the world what the kingdom looks like. But we at the same time clock complaining with them. We just happen to go to church on Sunday. Something to think about. So, listen, last part as I begin to sum up. Our access to God's kingdom and its benefit are reserved for his children, not for the rebels that have situational relationships. You want to see the miracle signs and wonders, deliverances and demonstrations? It's time to reason with yourself and gain a posture of purpose. Who wants to be postured? Who wants to be positioned? Who's tired of living the way that we've been living? The Holy Spirit didn't give me no expectation for this to be a hooping, hollering, jumping, screaming time. This had to be a seed that was planted so that we'll begin to, as a week goes by, we'll think again before I make that mistake. We'll think again before my character shows up and speak bad for me. Are we thinking? Are we standing for our minds to be changed and renewed? I see a few believers, a few people since then. It's going to, it's going to, huh, thank you, Lord. It's like when you used to get that amoxicillin. It didn't run like juice, but it used to pour a little bit. When you got that real maple syrup, that, that molasses, like my mama like, it's thick, it pours. That's what this word is like. You're going to go through the week, and it's going to pour. And you're going to have to think again, am I behaving like an acquired person, or am I behaving like this rebel? Or am I shying away from corrective things? The Holy Spirit speaks loud. We shy from correction. How the Bible be true and we always have a way of escape, but somehow we always in some mess. Because we shy away from it. Amen? To our feet. Come on, let's get up with a redeemed sense of mindset. 
Let's get up with a little bit of praise on our lips. Come on. I told you it didn't feel. I started the sermon when it didn't feel good. I'm okay with that. But if you're going to get up and do what God is calling you to do, you have to seal that thing and be sure about what God called you for. God has put purpose on each and every one of us. There's promise in each and every one of us. There's purpose. Listen, I try not to keep making eye contact, but I'm going to talk to you anyway. The world says one thing about you. God says something totally different. But until you believe the language, you're susceptible to what you believe. Until you believe the language that he says, Bernard, he calls you king. You know why he calls you king? Because his name's attached to you. You can't be anything less than what I am. We talked about it in the car. My skin brown because my parents brown. It's in my genetics. If I'm made after the likeness and image, if he's the king, I got to be a king. If he's royalty, I got to be royalty. We got to get our minds together, saints. We got to get our minds together when we start believing this more than the narrative that is prepared for us. Now, let's try this again. Praise you, the Lord. Oh, that sounds real good. Come on, get them heavy weights off you. Set aside those weight and sin that so easily beset you. Come on, get that stinking thinking out the way. Shake the cobwebs. Stretch in your new space. Come on, you're dying too quick. No, praise again. Come on. You got to do this for you. You're in a fight for your life, and you're the only one that's going to contend. You got to do this for you. You got to acquire this kingdom. It already exists. It's already manifested. You have to be the recipient. If you want to be better than any season you've ever lived in in life, you have to be the recipient of what you're praying for. No longer prodigal. No longer rebels shying away from correction. Wanting to do it my own way because I've had to survive for so long. That survivalist mindset is a trick of the devil. Because what it tells you is, oh, if you're still living, it must have worked. God didn't call you to survive. He called you to succeed. Surviving is a byproduct of life. Succession is inheritance from God. Now listen, I want to open the altar for those that this word hit. Not emotionalism, but those who know I got to do better than where I'm at right now. No condemnation, no funny, weird stuff, but you know for you, this has not been enough for me, Lord. I'm tired of running cycles. I heard the man of God say that seasons are four months. Anything past four months is a cycle. I'm tired of this cycle that I'm repeating when I feel you pulling me to something greater. If you want us to agree with you in prayer, if you want us to push that seed, meet us at the altar. And meet us at the altar praying already. We're going to agree with what language you're already using. I don't want to live like this. I don't want to be like this. I want what God has for me. Now watch this. No one's laying no hands. We're going to pray together. I already agree with God about you. I already, mm, God, I, yep, heard that. I already agree with God about you. 
So now two sides of this cord are already formed. Where's the third side? Do you agree about you? Listen, I need you to shake all the negative language that's on your mind right now. And I'm talking about seasons of people saying stuff to you that is not fruitful for who God called you to be. There's a divine place for you that God has orchestrated. There's stuff that you shouldn't have made it out of. There are seasons in life that you were not supposed to make it out of. And God made sure he showed up so that you would be where you were supposed to be. You got to shake loose of that. The Bible says, cast aside, push it off, relinquish it. There's a life that God wants you to live that doesn't require sleepless nights. It doesn't require a bunch of tears. It doesn't require robbing Peter to pay Paul. He wants you to be an able, oh God, yes. He wants to have you so that you're able to give to others and your basins still be overflowing. He wants to show off in you. But in order to do that, you got to make room for him. The kingdom is your inheritance already. What you gonna do about it? You ain't gotta answer me, that's for you. What you gonna do about it? Cause I know there's, there's a vision that you have for your life and how you wanna live and who you wanna be seen as. You know God agrees? Did you know that your imagination is a byproduct of the Holy Spirit? And if you discipline that imagination, God is showing you shades of the life that you could live? So when you daydream about your life and when you're sitting at work and you're just sitting there, God, I could, th this could be this and this could be that. That's not you doing that. That's the Holy Spirit doing that. Saying, baby, come with me, please. I'll show you what this is really like. Just come with me is what he's saying. I'm giving you these visions so it's not a, just a figment of your imagination. I'm allowing you to see from my vantage point so that you see that the value on you is greater than what you've been living like. And it's not your fault. Let me put that out there. Let's break up that lie from the devil right now. It's not your fault. But surviving is not your portion. Surviving is not for you. You're a successor, not just a survivor. Cool, that worked to seasons to get here, but God's ushering you literally by hand into a season of succession. He wants you to be great as you 